You're listening to Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists, sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division. And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor. We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources. Okay. Hey guys, welcome back with Better Fishing with two ball biologists. Real quick, before we get too far into this, I just, again, we've gotten so many good emails and so much support from everybody that I just really want to take a minute to thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for participating and thank you guys for supporting us because it's really kind of humbling the turnout that we've got so far. Corey, wouldn't you say the same? Absolutely. One, I've enjoyed doing this because I think we're sharing information and I'm learning as I go and it's been great. But yeah, the response back from the public has been just phenomenal and we can't thank you enough for all the support that you've given us to this point. Keep listening. That's right. Yes, please keep listening. If not, we might wind up quit talking. That's right. We're going to keep talking. Well, we'll (laughs) keep talking, but you might not be listening to us. That's right. So before I introduce our special guest today, I want to kind of introduce how my friendship with him started. I went to Smithfield, North Carolina to talk to some fly fishermen about about fly fishing on the Noose River. And I guess this group of folks heard that I was coming and they showed up despite the fact that they weren't fly fishermen. And I was inundated with catfish questions and a lot of... I don't know where they're supposed to be. I mean, they got lost. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the catfishing guys got lost. The fly fishing guys didn't seem to be bothered with it. I mean, they really enjoyed the questions too. But Tyler Barnes was in this group and he and I formed a relationship. He's here today to talk with us about catfishing. But these guys are really interested in catfishing and the Noose River and, and really all of our coastal rivers. And Tyler, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit before I run my mouth too much? Yeah, Ben. Well, first of all, it's really good to be here with both y'all. And uh, my name's Tyler Barnes. I'm from Pikeville, North Carolina. And as of right now, I'm the North Carolina state record flathead holder. Catfishing's really been on my mind. It's been something that I've, uh, you know, it's, it's been a passion of mine. I've done it since I was a little boy with my father. And uh, it's kind of, you know, something that's latched on to me and something I look forward to doing for a very long time. So I'm going to tell you guys that what this podcast is trying to do, our goals, you know, in trying to help anglers catch more fish. Tyler did this. He sits there and he bends my ear and he emails me and he calls me and he wants to know what's the data showing, what's going on. So he's kind of, before this podcast took off, he's really one of the guys that kind of said, I want to use y'all's data and I want to know what you guys know and I want to apply that to my fishing. And that's really what this podcast is all about. And Tyler, I guess we could say you're maybe a little bit ahead of your time on that, but as far as like really bending my ear and he'd ask me questions and multiple times he'd ask me the same question. I guess he was trying to see if I'd change my mind, but, but he really uses our data and our surveys and reads them and applies them to his fishing. So I think it's kind of nice in our first few or our first year doing this podcast to have you on here as an example of what we're really trying to do. Before we talk about the state record story, I just want to know why catfish? What is the big draw for catfish for you? Okay, so 
ever since I was a little boy, me and my father, we enjoyed fishing together. No matter what it was, you know, we may go pier fishing, surf fishing. And along the way, probably around nine, 10 years old, we started picking up cat fishing and uh, we would keep it simple. And we'd do a lot of bank fishing, you know, at the boat ramps. We might set a campfire, throw some fishing poles out and, and catch some catfish. And kind of one thing leads to another. And pretty much one night we were uh, catfishing one time over there at a uh, $2 boat ramps on Stevens Mill Road. And we were camping, set the tent up. And out of nowhere, you know, we were catfishing. It might be 10, 11 o'clock or so. And I hooked into a catfish that was, and I'm little at this time. I'm 12. You know, I'm only about 12 years old at this point. And I hook into a catfish and I'm yelling at my dad and I'm saying, I said, Daddy, you know, I got a big one. I got a big one. You know, so he's coming, you know, he's walking over, smiling and stuff. And this fish is giving me all I got. And I ain't never felt anything like it. And after a few minutes of fighting the fish, we kind of finally get him up there to the bank and we're freaking out. And, and he grabs this fish and pulls him onto the bank. And this he is this massive flathead catfish. And at the time, we were only used to catching 10, 15 pound fish and didn't really realize how large these fish got. And it's kind of ever since then, I wanted to catch more. I wanted to catch bigger. I wanted to catch better. I wanted to know how. And me and my dad got real intrigued and started talking to a lot of people. And and unfortunately, uh, he passed away and I kind of kept going where, where me and him left off. And I haven't slowed down. And it's, you know, it, it's really a passion of mine and I've really tried to take it to the next level. Well, I think being the state record holder qualifies as next level. You've definitely taken it to a different level for sure. Before we get too further along, we said you're a state record holder. I'm not sure if I should tell my version or you should tell your version first of this story. I think you should let Tyler go. I think we let Tyler go and then I'll just supplement a little bit as well. Yeah, sure. So every year, Easy Bait and Tackle has a catfishing tournament. And this tournament is really based on, it's like a top three, and it's pretty much the biggest fish wins. So during these two months, you're fishing on and off, and you can go on your free time and, you know, weigh them in during store hours. But anyway, I, I kind of set off to go by myself one night, uh, July 20th, 2020. You know, and I'm going, and I've got my bait, and I've been brim fishing all day, and I've, you know, I'm feeling really good about things. And so I kind of set up at my first spot here, and it was kind of like a just a, a different kind of feeling. I don't know. When I set up on my first spot, I said a prayer, and I was asking God to be with me and uh, just show me that He is here with me and that my dad's here with me and watching me, and He knows what I'm doing, and I'm doing this for me and Him, and and just asking for just one of the miracles. Because, you know, all of us kind of go through things at certain periods of time, and you just all need a little bit of help sometimes. So I, after I said my prayer, I'm, you know, I throw out and yeah, I ended up catching one little fish at the first spot. I said, well, you know, it's time to move. So I fished the second spot and, you know, it's not really a whole lot going on. It's looking like a bad night so far. So I said, well, you know what? I got this other spot in mind. I said, so I'm going to go on down the river and I'm going to go fish this spot. And so I'm going down the river and, and this, this little tree that has fell over into water, nothing to it, never paid it any mind ever. I never even really noticed it. It kind of caught my eye. So I, I said, well, no, it ain't nothing to that. So I kept going. So I'm going another, you know, 30 seconds to a minute down the river. Or so, and I said, you know what? I said, I need to turn around. I said, I need to hit this spot. I said, something's telling me. I said, well, I'll just give it 30 minutes, you know. So I turn around. I set up on this uh, little tree here. And I said, well, I probably wasted my time. Probably wasted my time. So, <laughs> so I'm throwing out and uh, probably about 10 minutes after sitting there. So I get, I get this thump on a big shell cracker that I threw out. He was probably at least a pound. I mean, it was a very big bait. 
And he thumps it, and, and the rod is kind of like rocking back and forth. And at the time, I'm on the phone with a buddy. I said, well, say, man, you know, let me call you right back. I got something interesting going on. So so I hang up the phone, and I go to the rod, and and this particular rod, I had actually thrown. So I had drifted past this log jam that I was looking at, and I throwed upriver on the backside of it. It's, you know, kind of like a current break of some sort. And so he started going down with the rod slowly. So I picked up the rod. And as he was going, I kind of made an artificial hook set because I'm using circle hooks and you don't want to snatch back. You kind of got to like lay into it a little bit if he isn't able to take the rod down himself. But anyway, it's another matter. But so I pull into this fish a little bit and set the hook in him and this thing goes nuts. And he's, man, he just starts ripping drag, splashing, I mean, going crazy. And I'm about four feet of water. That's really it. And he's going nuts. And so I tighten the drag down and, and turn him towards me. And he starts running towards me as fast as he can. And I'm cranking. And he starts ripping drag past the back of the boat. And he's, I'm like, what do I got? And, you know, I'm tripping out. You yeah. know, I'm like, man, I need this fish. <laughs> so, this thing's big. Yes. So to recap, tough night, big fish tournament. Uh, yeah. This is a very exciting moment. Very exciting. It's like, man, this is the one I need. This could be a... At that point in time, you really don't know what you got. All you know is he's of size. <laughs> so he's pretty big. So I get him up to the boat, and he peels the drag going the other way. I'm like, man, this fish is going to come off. I said, at this point, I, you know, my drag's pretty tight, and he's ripping it off like I ain't got any drag. <laughs> so he's rolling. And I get him beside the boat, and I grab my net, and I try to scoop it up under the fish, and he will not get into the net. He's laid on it all the way across, but he won't fold in. So... And I'm sitting here panicking. Uh-oh. I am panicking. I'm like, I like, what do I do now? So I take the net. I've got, you know, rod in my left hand, net in the right hand. I put the net back, and he starts ripping drag under the boat. And he's on the backside. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I said, this thing is nuts. So I said, okay, I'm going to grab him this time. So I got him back to the boat, and I pulled him up, and he floated to the top. And I laid the pole in the boat. And I said, this is it. He's going to take my rod and reel with him and everything. So uh, I laid the rod in the boat and grabbed the line. And I'm leaning over the edge of the boat. And I'm reaching for him like, where's he at? Where's he at? Where's he at? And I feel his head. And then I grab him by the bottom jaw. Then at that point, I grab him with both hands. And I guess the adrenaline or something at the time, I just snatch him right in the boat. You know, I'm picking him up. I'm like, oh, God. And I slay him in the boat. And I'm looking at this fish, man. And I've caught some big fish. And I'm looking at this particular fish here. And I'm like, golly, something is different. And it's hard to judge a fish like that just looking at him. You you don't say he's a state record. You, you don't never think that. So I'm looking at this fish and I'm I'm like, man, this thing is huge. So I call my buddy back and I said, I said, hey, man. I said, I caught that fish. He said, yeah. I said, well, he said, well, how big? I said, well, I said, man, he's at least 65 pounds. He's like, what? And I said, yeah, well, I'm going to weigh him right quick. So I put the fish in my net and grab my scales, and I hook my scales onto the net while the fish is in it. And I pick it up, and it says 82.1. I started laughing. I was like, I was like man, I said my scales are messed up or, or something ain't right or something ain't adding up. And so we're laughing. We're joking. So I turn my scales off and cut them back on, and I weigh him again, and he's 81.6. And so my mind starts going nuts, and I'm like, well, hold on. Okay, state record, 78, and my net's like two and a half, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, I am all over the state record. I'm tripping. I am tripping. <laughs> man, it was for the next two hours, well, really, I, don't know. I was, man, I was freaking out. It was truly 
the best night of my life. Now, it really was on your end, Ben. What did that sound like? So, you know, again, Tyler and I have a relationship and we talk regular. Tyler fishes all night and I fish all day. So, about the time that he gets in is about the time I leave to go fishing. And I had been fishing all day that day. I think it was a Friday, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I believe, no, it was a Thursday. Thursday night. Yeah, it was there. No, I hadn't been fishing. I've been doing fish surveys. It was <laughs> I'd been fishing all day on the blue cat record, which we can talk about too. But I'd been working all day. I was exhausted. The phone rings and Tyler's so excited that he can't even put words together in a way that humans can understand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I hear words like state record and flathead catfish and meanwhile my wife's like, I think I'd ignored about four of your phone calls because oh, yeah, it was it like <laughs> wee hours of the morning definitely qualified as the wee hours of the morning and finally at about three o'clock in the morning i was like these boys ain't gonna quit calling me i might as well talk to them and i was awake (laughs) somebody (laughs) kept calling (laughs) to this day my wife refers to tyler as that guy understood so yeah just tread lightly if you ever meet her i guess no doubt thanks Uh, for the heads up in fact when the phone rang and i saw who it was my wife asked me like, who in the world's calling you? And I was like, these boys have called a state record. Like, I kind of knew it was probably. So I talked to Tyler, and he's like, hey, I waited on my scales, and it's big. It's big, Ben. And I said, well, go to Easy Bait. They got the certified scale on the front porch. Call me back when you know how much it weighs. And I went back to sleep. Because, you know, we get, and Corey will testify to this, we get a lot of phone calls about a lot of quality fish. That ain't even close. That aren't state records. And it's nothing against catching a quality fish. It's just the state record is a very special, very rare fish. So most times that claim, once it's investigated, falls apart. And to be honest, in the haze of sleep... <laughs> You're kind of hoping that maybe it does, you know. So you don't call go, me till the sun's up, <laughs> right? You can go on back to sleep. But he called me, and he's like, "Man, we're sitting here weighing it. What was the official weight? Seventy-eight point nine. I wanted to say seventy-eight, but I didn't want to take the point nine away from. It. I mean, that's so, important in this game. Every ounce counts. It Seriously. certainly does. So he told me the weight. I knew what I had to do the next day, which was another fish survey. I knew this was important fish again. Tyler's basically incoherent, and he's like, oh, man, I'm just worried he's going to lose weight if you wait to get here. And I knew how much this fish meant to Tyler. You know, we talked about it multiple times, and I said, really, the way my schedule was, I had no option but to go right then and there. And I got there, I got here about sunrise, maybe a little bit before, which the funny thing is, I read an article about your catch right after that. And then in the article, it said it took hours for the biologist to get there hours. certified. I was like, hours? <laughs> I was there before breakfast. You know, <laughs> how dare you, Ben? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how dare you be late? <laughs> so, just a little disclaimer if anybody read that article the way I read it, I was like, no, I mean, it, I had to drive from Newburn to Goldsboro. <laughs> and that right. was about the increment of time that it took. But yeah, it didn't take hours in the terms of. You know, we still hadn't eaten breakfast yet that morning. So, weighed the fish, certified it, and, I mean, the rest is pretty much history now. Yes, sir. And, you know, catching the state record was, man, that was, <laughs> talk about a dream come true. And the best part for me, Ben, is, was being able to keep that fish alive, and keep it healthy, and to release it there at the ramp and watch it swim away for somebody else to catch it one day. That really brought a lot of joy to me. 
knowing I was able to keep that fish alive, that was super important. So Corey and I, about two weeks ago, we got the chance to experience all of this. Experience. Not a state record, but experience. Yeah, we didn't. We did not catch a state record. No, we did not. Can we even ha- catch a state record? I doubt it. Maybe we have to get somebody from the mountains to come and certify our fish. Probably a conflict of interest or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, didn't matter. We didn't do it. But I really, it was important for me to get out there and experience it. I'm a very avid angler, but I haven't catfished a lot. And I knew that what Tyler does is not. It ain't the catfishing I grew up doing. I can no, tell you that. It's, it's not chicken livers no. on a bottom rig by <laughs> no, any means. No, it's you not know, even no. close. And there's nothing against that, but no. this is a different thing, you know? And so I wanted to be able, I said, if we're going to do a podcast about it, I'd like to see it. You know, it doesn't have to be the best day that's ever happened, but I'd like to go and I'd like to see it. And Corey, what do you think about our trip? It was very enjoyable. I learned a lot. One thing I did learn is that these guys that are doing this catfishing work, their rods are all the same color. It's either lime green, bright orange, pink, red, Maybe a lot of fishermen, surprisingly enough. Like my rods at home are like multitudes of colors and usually not brightly colored. This is like nuts, crazy colors, and all the rods match. Like you got 10 of them and they all match. I'm like, who does that? Right. When I envision cat fishermen or the quintessential cat fishermen, I really don't envision. Yeah them to be as fashionable as they are. No, they're very fashionable. And that was one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is they've got some serious quality gear. Yeah, they're not playing around. What did you tell me? You were using a 150-pound braid? I was like, yeah, we're we're in a different ball game here. We're not looking for the catfish I grew up catching. So since we're there, let's talk about what kind of gear. Walk us through the gear that you use to catch these big fish. Yeah, sure. So we'll start with the rod. Lime green. Has to be lime green. Lime green, man. You know. <laughs> so I uh, catch the fever. They make uh, a few different rod models. They make the Big Cat Fever Rod Series, and then they make the new series on the Hellcat rods. I am currently using the Hellcat rod heavy action. So I'm using the Hellcat rod heavy action. And as far as real choice, I'm using a Pin Fathom 20 level one. Now, on that pin fathom, I'm using a 150-pound braided line. This is serious, guys. This is serious business. Ben and I are looking at each other like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, this is heavier than what I use <laughs> yeah. to like cobia fish or deep sea fish. I mean, I literally, mean, we're pulling in sharks with these things. Nah, but anyway. Kidding. But to his credit, these are the same size fish. That's you know, right. So. Yep. They're not coming off, I tell you that. <laughs> so, we're using a hundred, anywhere really between a hundred and 150 pound braid. I used 150. You know, why not? If you're going to use a hundred, why not just use 150? Of course. 500. Do I hear a thousand? <laughs> <laughs> and as far as leader line, uh, Catch the Fever also makes a awesome leader line. It says this heavy cover leader line. They got a uh, 80 and a hundred pound. I used a hundred pound and I'm also using naturally. Naturally. Yeah. Being, you know. <laughs> Why would you use a lesser 80-pound lead? <laughs> so, and as far as hooks, you know, everybody's got their own preference for things. But for me, I'm using a 9 alt Charlie Brown circle hook. Occasionally, I'll throw some 10 alts on, just depending on time of the year and what I'm really going for. If it's for big flatheads and I'm using really big baits, I will throw some 10s. That's what I use, Ben. And just like a, a traditional sinker slider rig, you know, so I have the, the sinker slider with my weight, depending on the current, depends on the weight. I typically don't throw less than a 10. I don't care how low it is, but I can throw 16s. 
which is like throwing your car yeah. <laughs> on the end of your line. I think there's a lot of people right now that are listening to this. Like, holy smokes, what's and going on? And they're like, 150-pound braid, offshore, level wine reels, heavy, heavy action boat rods that are seven foot long, 10-ounce weight, eight and 10-ounce weights, nine-ounce circle hooks. Yeah, this is... We've jumped into a different We league. have left chicken livers a we long time ago. We left chicken livers ago. a long time ago. <laughs> so explain to people listening, like, what you do for bait. Like, what is it that you're trying to do when you go to get your bait? Okay, so in the summertime, if I'm looking for flathead catfish or blues, uh, really just in the summer in general, there's kind of really just two options for me. And what I use is either mainly live bait. So it's going to be live brim. It could be brim. It could be crappy, bass, uh, shell cracker. I've thrown uh, blackfish. Which is a bowfin. A bowfin, yeah, blackfish, bowfin. I've thrown a multitude of really a lot of things. <laughs> Basically, if it's big and it's a live bait, he's going to hit it. He's not picky. He's going to hit it. To me, the bigger, the better. You can catch some big fish on small baits. That I mean, that's 100% true, accurate. But for me... If I'm not using big baits, my confidence is not nearly as good. Now, live eels are a really good choice. They're kind of aggravating to deal with, uh, slimy and wrapping up and trying to grab them, but they are an excellent bait of choice too. So I want to ask Corey a question. I'm not the catfisherman here. He is. This is a Wildlife <laughs> Commission legal kind Uh-oh. of question. So we're going to get, you know, Tyler said he uses bluegills, bass, bowfins, catfish. He uses a bunch of stuff. So walk us through. That may raise an eyebrow for some of our listeners. So walk us through kind of what's legal and what isn't legal as far as that goes, just for our listeners. So as long as you, the angler, go out and catch that fish in a legal manner, that fish is of legal size, you can use it as a bait on the line. And you don't have too many. And you don't have to, yeah, you can't have too many. So you got to follow all the rules. You can't have too many in your creel. You can't have too short or if there's a size limit, a minimum size limit on them. You know, you got to do all of those things. You can't use a gear that's not approved. So, like, you can't go cast net for bluegill and use live bluegill that you caught in a cast net. So, that was my point to what you do is that you really are, you're going fishing before you go fishing. That's correct. For your bait. And that's, um, a lot of people don't do that. And I bring that up because it really shows the seriousness that these guys are taking this fishing because they're fishing for bait to go fishing. And a lot of people will either go buy their bait or will go throw a cast net on bait that you can legally harvest with a cast net, that kind of thing, which is much easier than, well, I got to go spend two, three hours, maybe even longer to catch the right size shell crackers, red ears, bluegills, whatever to go fishing with. And that that's a whole nother level of crazy. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> and because of the regulations that are in place, you know, you get yeah. 30 sunfish. Yep, that's right. And that's it. That's you, it. You can't use 30 sunfish and then go get 30 more. Yeah, that's so right. So you have a finite number of eight. You know, we saw Brent on the water when we fished. Many times Brent has called me or texted me or sent me messages about where can I find bait? You know, where are you seeing things like gizzard shad and things that he could cast net up? I mean, these are pretty much live bait fishing, right, Tyler? So Yeah, pretty much. Now, in the winter months, you said gizzard shad. Now, I will switch up using gizzard shad primarily. Uh, Flatheads kind of get dormant. They get in their holes. They don't really move. Can you catch them? Absolutely, 100%. It's just not as likely. So I'll kind of switch up to, to using cut bait 
pretty much just gives her chat is about all you'll see me using uh, after about December. December to March is, is just Gizzard Chat for me. And there's various places you can catch those at dams. And you can cast net those right, man. And uh, I think the limit might be, what, 200 per person. So there's definitely no shortage of Gizzard Chat. But there's, uh, it really just depends on the time of year and, and what you're going for. And, you know, different species like different kinds of things. And it's just, it just all depends. So one of the things you brought up, it sounds like to me what I'm hearing what you're saying is that this is pretty much a year-round fishery. You have to change baits and you have to change tactics probably, maybe even locations and that kind of stuff, depending on the time of year. But you probably can, if you want to get into this, you probably can fish for these fish 12 months out of the year. Does that seem accurate? I go every weekend. Every weekend. And during the week. I hope my wife is listening every weekend. Yeah, all the time. It's a habit. So, yes, it is a habit. <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. I think maybe one of, you know, this fishery and this sport of trophy catfishing in North Carolina has blown up in probably the last 10 years. And I think part of the reason is because there are some very large fish that are very accessible. And most people who fish, even people that fish their whole lives, really don't have a lot of option to catch 30-pound fish very regularly. And I think this really appeals to a lot of folks because of that, is that these fish are there. I mean, there's definitely some nuances, as Corey and I learned, but with a little bit of practice, it's not hard. I mean, it may be hard to catch a 78.9-pounder, but it's not hard to find a, a 40 pound fish yeah, relatively I mean, we call, easily. What we catch, we didn't do great, but we caught like a 38, a 36, and two 20s, I think, on the night that we went in the short time that we were there. Right. I think that's part of the draw is that people can be relatively successful in an area that is right in their backyard. And I think that's a huge angling opportunity for folks. You know, one of the things I learned, you asked me what I learned on the trip. Obviously, the colors, that was one thing I learned is that you could be flashy and flamboyant on a boat. And that was serious. It's very serious. And if you can get like your rods to match something else on your boat or your truck. Your your rod holders or your truck or, you know, maybe your clothes. It's like, I mean, these are stylish guys. They are stylish for sure. The one thing I learned about it was he has patience. Like, when a fish hits the rod, he just stands there. I mean, Tyler's just like looking at it like, eh, well, we'll see what happens. Five minutes later, that fish is still on that line. And he's like, eh, we'll see what happens. I would have already jerked a, a knot between his eyes. I mean, you know, I would have been too impatient and would have missed the fish. I mean, obviously, because he waited, Tyler waited until that fish literally bent that rod over and held it down for a pretty good period of time before he ever started reeling on that fish. And that's one of the things I learned was that, you know, I've caught blues and blue cats and I've caught flatheads in the noose before with my dad fishing, but we were way too impatient. Like we were just no wonder our success rate was so poor because he just, Tyler just sat there and I was like, man, I couldn't do it. He really did. And I think letting that fish kind of get the bait right in its mouth Whereas while we didn't have that good of a day, you know, just because of the rising water that we had that evening, it's probably the difference. And if you and I went and tried, we'd have caught zero versus we caught four or five. So for sure. Yeah. I would have never figured out that you just need to be patient. I would have been too impatient the whole time. Yeah. One of the things that I learned 
and I use on occasion, I'll catch a brim and use them to bass fish in my pond was how Tyler hooked that bait. And it was a little bit unorthodox. You mind talking to us a little bit about that, Tyler? If you don't want to give up your secrets. No secrets here, man. No secrets, man. So I've been using live brim for a long time. And I've hooked them towards the back, towards the tail. I've hooked them right in the middle uh, at his dorsal fin. And I find myself, and, and that definitely works. Really, if you got a hook in them, you got a chance to catch the fish. But for me, over a period of time of looking, I've actually, you know, hooking a brim in the tail or straight through uh, at the dorsal fin has kind of led to a lot of missed fish, fish that I should have hooked, potential big fish, and I've lost them. So in a lot of times, you may have a rod get destroyed. I mean, he might fold it, start peeling, dragging, and all of a sudden just comes up and you're like, man, what happened? So you're reeling the bait in and the hook will actually turn and go back into the bait. You know, and that's very frustrating. You're sitting there, it's hot, you're fishing all night long, you finally get the fish you want, and then the, the hook goes back to the bait, and it can't hook the fish. So something that I've done that's really, really helped is I'll take the brim and in front of the dorsal fin to the front of the fish's head, I'll come at a sharp angle from the fin and, and turn it at an angle and come towards the head in a really sharp angle. And what that does is that hook can't fold back over because it is hitting the body of the fish. It can't, that hook can't just turn back into the bait. Every great once in a while, it'll still happen. But I will say it doesn't happen often, nearly as often as it used to. And it's just led to a lot of, lot better hookups. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening, you know, if I were to grab a bait and hook it, I would normally go, from the eyes to the tail, traditionally. What Tyler's saying do is you start at the dorsal fin and you make the hook point out towards the head. And just the nature of how tall, how flat a bluegill is, that hook seems can foul relatively easily. And by doing that, I think it's a way to kind of increase your hookups a little bit. That was one of the things I learned. The other thing that I learned was just that big weight. And that could even apply to some of the fishing that I do, not just catfishing, which is kind of what I tell you guys all the time, is there's only but so many ways a big fish can eat a little fish. And that's really what fishing is mimicking. And that was those big weights because Tyler was very methodical in where he wanted his baits to sit. And using that big weight, They didn't tumble. They didn't roll. They didn't do anything. He says, I want that bait to stay right where I put it. And 10 ounces of weight will definitely do that. (laughs) When you're throwing a boat anchor every time you throw it out. That's right. One of the things that impressed me about Tyler when we went fishing, obviously he's done it a bunch, so he's very skilled in it. What, we have 10 rods out, something like that? 10 rods out from the port side to the starboard side on the rear of the boat. And he threw those baits exactly where he wanted them. He lined every line up. I know you can probably get in a cluster of lines running everywhere if you got multiple fish on everything. But like even when we caught those big fish, those fish basically came right up in between the other lines that he had out. So you're thinking about 10 lines out. That's what that 150-pound test will do for you. It's amazing what a 150-pound test is. <laughs> like, you know, just, eh, you're coming with me. But it, it was pretty impressive, though. You know, we never really got fouled up. Nothing ever went wrong. And 
he could throw them perfectly and it put them in exact locations, and it was pretty impressive. Oh, I know many guys, plenty of guys. In fact, I do almost even say that the average guy with a boat twice the size of what we were in couldn't fish half the rods oh, that no. we fished. No, we weren't in a huge boat. I mean, it was just a, an aluminum skiff boat, and like I said, it was a, it was impressive how it was set up. Yeah. No, he's definitely got it figured out. But the cool thing is with fishing those and 10 rods. he's got rods, lights on his rod holders. Like, yeah, the man beam has, lights on. The man's got some serious gear. I need to talk about that for a minute. Tyler's got enough light on his boat. He's got more light bulbs on his boat than I have in my house. Like, <laughs> You remember the song Blinded by the Light? You literally could be blinded by the light on that boat. <laughs> he legally has to have navigation lights, yes, but no. I'm not sure it qualifies as being dark if you're around his boat. When the lights are <laughs> on the boat and you're going down the river, it's like a, it's like the sun going down the river. I mean, we could see, <laughs> we could see probably everything. 100 yards in front of the boat, way up in the woods on either side. We saw deer way back in the swamp running around. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, he has invested in some lights. He's even got up lighting for his rods so he can see his rods while we're fighting fish. And it's pretty... What kind of batteries you got in that boat? I mean, just your regular 12-volt. Man, <laughs> those are some good batteries or good bulbs, one of the two, or both. So, but yeah, I mean, lots of light to get, I mean, again, this is nighttime fishing, so you have to be safe. So a lot of light is a really important thing. So the one thing, Tyler, before we get into some listener questions, what I'd like to do is also, I want to talk real briefly about how important or how big the tournament fishing has become for oh, catfish. Man. Absolutely. So over the years, I've probably been just tournament fishing now, five, six years, probably, I remember my first tournament. It was so awesome. Whether you catch big fish or not, or whether you're competitive or not, it's still just really a good time. Just to, you're there with a bunch of guys, and we all have matching rods, and we're all looking good. We do have matching rods. <laughs> very, very <laughs> dapper. But no, it, it's really, it does get very competitive, but it is really a good time to just hang out with a bunch of friends and catfish and cut up and, you know, make little side bets here and just have a good time. But over the last five years, I will say catfishing has exploded everywhere. There's tournaments popping up left and right. I mean, we're getting tournaments, 100 plus boat entries, 150. There's some 200. I mean, it's so as big as bass fishing. It's really. just as big, man. You know, and it's, man, it's just getting bigger and better every day. It's awesome. It's good to see. I think a lot of folks don't realize how popular catfish tournaments have become. And so I just wanted to let folks know that that's yet another angling opportunity that's out there. So if you're competitive and you don't really want to get into bass fishing because you don't have super fast bass boat and all that kind of stuff, you can get into catfishing. And once you get your matching rods, you're good to go. That's all you, you need. You can't come with unmatched rods. It's on the registration do, form. Do your rods match? Yeah, everybody check. be like, look <laughs> at this rookie. No, that being said, we give them a hard time because it is such a sweet setup that it's yeah, kind it's of amazing. Cool. But your rods don't have to match. Is that? No. Look, I'm telling you, when I started, me and my dad, we you go to Walmart, you buy your setup for 20 bucks, it'll catch the same fish. You know, just over time, you just start to develop better gear, just, you know, more dependable equipment. Like everybody. Everybody does it that way. Exactly. That's how you start. You start, yeah. and then you kind of say, well, man, those rods are sweet. I like them. Let's let's get them. Then you get one, then you're like, well, imagine if I had 10 of these. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's a disease, and man. Then you I man, get it. Then there goes all your money, just that quick. I get it. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, 
And once you find something that you like that works good and really, as you know, Tyler, if you have one small rod, that's the one that the big fish is going to hit, it seems, time in, time out. So if everything's the same and your rigs are all the same, and it adds a level of continuity to things. But okay, well, good deal. Well, let's take a little minute to talk about some listener questions. Score, you want to get into that? Sure. So once again, we appreciate all the questions you guys have been sending us. Please keep them coming. We'll try to answer a few here on the podcast, and we'll always answer them via email when you send them to us at twobaldbiologists at ncwildlife.org. The first one comes from a person named Sean Lynn. They asked the question, how can I pursue a career in fisheries? Oh, boy. And the reason why I used this question is because we've gotten this question about two or three times now. And I fully support folks that want to be a fish biologist. And it's been a ride of a lifetime for me, so I wouldn't trade anything for it. I think Corey would agree. Typically, the average fish biologist has a master's degree. In something. Fish science. In something fishy related. Biology, fisheries management, ecology, something along those lines. They like doing this. You know, it's definitely not for everybody. If you don't want to be neck deep in a swamp, at least at some point in your career. If you don't want to be covered in catfish goo from head to toe. Yeah, if catfish goo isn't your thing or fish goo in general. Fish goo in general, yeah, it's not for you. You know, it's going to track you down at some point in this career. So it's definitely not for everybody, but it is. It's definitely for me. I'm outside a lot. What a lot of folks don't always understand is that we're basically statisticians and that all of our numbers come from fish. So that's maybe the the boring part, if you want to call it that. But it's interesting. The science is great. And the other thing is to get involved. We have a mentorship committee, so you can contact us at twobaldbiologist.com at ncwildlife.org and we'll get you in touch with them. If you're, you know, in school and you're thinking about becoming a fish biologist, we'd be happy to link you up with that as well. But really a strong biology and stats background is really what's going to kind of help you open the door and then volunteering and then getting your foot in with spending time with other fish biologists. That was going to be my thing. It's you really need to get out and experience it before you probably even commit wholeheartedly into it is call up the local biologist, say, hey, look, I'm thinking about this as a career. Can I come tag along with you and volunteer for a day just to see what it's about and get that experience of of what a true fish biologist does day in and day out. And, you know, you'll do it for a day and you'll be all excited, but then equate that to 365 days. <laughs> Maybe that, that'll kind of give you an idea of what we do day in and day out. But for me, when I first started, and it's, it's been a while now, I'm getting older, I just love being outside. I love being on a boat. I love working with fish. I love seeing all kinds of new things. So that's what got me excited about the field. You know, I don't get to do that nearly as much now in the role I'm in now, but I still get excited about fishing. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast and I get excited about fish biology. I mean, one of the cool things about being out with Tyler was just catching a fish that's pretty large. Large fish are cool. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It doesn't matter what they are. Small fish are cool too. But my preference is that large fish are cooler. But, you know, that's just me. There are some small fish that are really neat and interesting. But to see a really big fish, regardless of what it is, what it is, if it's huge for its species, and since we get to see a lot of fish during our surveys, the odds of us seeing these big fish increase. And it's always kind of a 
a moment that you remember? So the next question comes from Chris Carpenter, and he asks, I fish one to two times a month. Why am I having trouble catching bass? Well, first off, you're fishing for bass, but no, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm going to put it to Tyler. And Chris, we're not, I mean, if you fish one to two times a month, that's great. That may be all you have time to do. You're fishing more than I am right now. Yeah, you're fishing more than Corey's fish this month, for sure. But one to two times a month, what do you think, Tyler? Well, it's, I kind of get those questions, Ben, as far as, you know, I, I'll get messages or phone calls and they'll say, well, Tyler, you know, I've been fishing here. I go a couple times and, and I'm not really having any luck. What's the deal? Well, really just got to go more. It's all about time in the water. That's the take-home message right there. Just go Man, fishing more. Blunt. Like, you just need to fish more. <laughs> you just need to fish more. You really more. do. Every time you go, you kind of learn something. And what I try to tell people is if you go fishing and you fished all night in this one area and you didn't have a bite, well, I probably wouldn't go there the next night. Uh, I'd probably go somewhere else. And then eventually keep trying new things, trying different baits, figure out what works best for you and You'll catch on little by little, and then uh, you'll kind of develop a pattern, and it'll be like clockwork right. for us. So I paraphrased Chris's question a good bit. There was some follow-up information in there. What I would say, especially from a bass fishing standpoint, is if you can only fish a couple times a month, which really is normal. Yeah. You know, that's normal. Pick somewhere that's relatively small that's relatively easy to learn because of its size. And close. And somewhere that's relatively close. And the reason is, is a lot of guys that I talk to are like, well, I fished here and I didn't do any good. And I fished there and I didn't do any good. I fished over here and I didn't do any good. I'm like, you're moving and you're not able to put the pieces together. So it's like picking up four different puzzle pieces from four different puzzles and saying they don't fit together. So what I would encourage you to do is go as often as you can. And if one to two times a month, is as often as you can. That's fine. It's just going to take you a little bit longer to put all that together, but also pick somewhere that's close and easy to fish, somewhere that you can kind of pick apart a little bit easier. I had a guy call me not too long ago, and that's the exact advice I told him. And as soon as he quit traveling and kind of picked an area and said, I'm going to learn this area, he started getting a lot better results. One thing I'll add is, you know, I learned this when I started fishing with a good friend of mine named Kim Baker, who is one of the best fishermen I know, and he takes notes. He writes down, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but he writes down everything that he does that day, what he caught him on, what the water temperature was, what the wind speed was, what direction it was coming from. Was it partly cloudy? Was it sunny? What was the water clarity? All of that he writes down. I mean, it's high detail, and he's a high detail guy. And I picked that up from him. And I put it down in a notebook and I keep that notebook with me. And like, if I'm going back to an area that I fished in the past, I'll look through that notebook at the time of year I was there. And that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It doesn't mean it's going to be the exact same, but it at least give you a hint of an idea of what's going on around you. I think I used to not take notes. And I think the older I get, the more important that's going to become because I tend to forget kind of where I was at a given time of year. And I wind up scrolling back through Facebook photos and stuff like that and be like, okay, now I remember. So yeah, I think it'd be a great idea. And eventually the more you do that, you might still take the notes, but you, you don't necessarily have to go back to the notes and look at it. You'll remember because it's repetitive, right? Like you'll remember, okay, 
I generally, this time of year, know these fish are here in these general areas, and this is the type of baits that they like to hit, and this is the speed that you pull it, and all that kind of stuff. It's great advice. I mean, worst case scenario, you don't use it. Yeah, and you throw it in the trash. Yeah, five, ten minutes after a trip, you spend reflecting on your trip is never a bad time wasted. Yeah, exactly. All right, the last question we have is, I grew up on the Yadkin River. Uh, I took my wife there on July 4th. The nice catfish we caught, and there was a video involved, was full of freshwater clams, about one inch across in size. I never saw those back in the 60s and 70s Uh huh. when we lived there. Tell me about them, please. Do the fish pass the shells, or do they finally digest them? Where did they come from? How long have they been in the Yadkin River? And this question was from a listener named Joe Brown. So, Tyler... You know, flatheads and clams, nah, not so much. But blue cats and clams. Love them. Love them. Absolutely. like cotton candy. So they love clam. So what is your experience? Let's talk a little bit. Do you ever fish clams? As far as fishing with clams, no. But as far as finding clam beds in the river and fishing for catfish in that area, absolutely. A lot of times, especially on Noose River, you can uh, you find clams relatively easy. They seem to kind of be everywhere, but just going down the river, you'll find like uh, on the banks, you'll see a lot of clams from where there's some kind of animal or something's probably drug them up there and is eating the clams. Well, that's just a key feeding area for blue catfish. They love clams. They love mussels. For example, after tournaments, whenever you weigh the fish in and you kind of let the water out of your live well, there may be dozens and dozens of clams, but they're opened. It seems like the catfish eat them and then they open in the fish's stomach and then they just digest them and, and they the, run their the course. Shell. They run their course. There you go. They run the course and then you just got a bunch of, I mean, handfuls and handfuls. I mean, and a lot of times you can, uh, I'll kind of learn where clams are depending on. So you may catch a fish, you may catch a blue cat, maybe 10, 15, 20 pounds, and you can actually rub its belly and you can feel them all in a stomach. I mean, there'll be. Everywhere, and they just love them. You can shake them and they'll jingle. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So what he saw isn't that abnormal. And there's always been mussels in our rivers. In fact, we have one of the highest diversity of mussels of anywhere in North America, right here in North Carolina. But the reason why he didn't see this as much in the 60s and 70s, one, probably wasn't as many blue cats around back then. There's one. And two, we also have an invasive clam that is very prolific, that blue cats just happen to really, really love. So those two of those things that probably both of those species were less common in the past than they currently are. So they kind of run their thing and they're there now. And we're just glad you had a good day out there on the river, kind of reliving your glory days. So with that, do we have anything to add? I think it's been a great podcast. I'm glad Tyler came. Thanks, Tyler, for sharing your story and talking about catfishing. It's been awesome. Yeah, we're going to have a part two, so y'all stay tuned. We'll talk a lot more about the biology of these catfish as we move forward. So with that, I want to thank you guys for listening, and we'll call this one a wrap. Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Ball Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at twoballedbiologist at ncwildlife.org.